Hello and welcome back to another episode, the second one of the Who Said It podcast. I am Farina and this podcast is inspired by phrases from conversations I've had with people or chats I've overheard at the club or something that may have just got my brain ticking. It's a podcast geared towards empowering new DJs and gives food for thought for promoters. It's full of like shared stories, experiences and gives advice as well from some of the scene's most loved and respected contributors. We talk about topics that are usually kept behind closed doors or as secrets or stuff that people just don't really want to publicly address. We always go there. Now, the quote that we're going to be going over today is some music venues should close down and open a bottle shop instead. And the person that I've got coming on to chat with me today is Per Hammer. He's from the south of Sweden. He's loved electronics since he was a child. And then electronic music was exposed to him through video games like Game Boy and Nintendo. And then a few years after, he kind of got interested in Aphex Twin. I mean, who doesn't really like the guy? He's a huge influencer in electronic music. And then he also started to like uh, trip hop a little bit and that Fortet style electronic sound as well. He's been in the game for about 20 odd years. He's played a vast array of clubs and festivals in various countries. I mean, if you think of a place where a reputable DJ can play, he's probably done it or is scheduled to do it. His most recent was a performance at Fusion Festival, which was recorded. And it's actually a sick mix, by the way. I definitely recommend as soon as this podcast is done, you go onto his SoundCloud and you have a listen. I personally love his sets. There's a lot of grit to his sound. And he keeps his energy really steady by playing like constant chuggy numbers. And he also throws his productions in there as well. Now, he still loves to DJ as much as he ever has. He's always got music on his mind. And so he loves to talk about it in detail once in a while with other people that love it. And the part he loves most about it, I guess, is the traveling because he gets to meet random people all over and gets to have these conversations and geek out, you know, on the things that he's passionate about. Now, his name, Per Hammer, came about because he was reading this children's book when he was a kid and the main character's best friend was called Per Hammer and it was only it was the only character in the entire story where the full name was said whenever you said his name and he loved it. It caught his attention, that did. So on his weekly bowling trips with the other kids, when you go up to type your name into the screen, he'd be like, why are you going to write your actual name, like Simon in there or like Marcus? So... He'd be like, I want to do something fun. So when he went up there, he'd write his name Per Hammer in full because he thought it was weird and he loved it. And it became his bowling name. And then when it came to him DJing and releasing music, he didn't want to use his real name, Eric. So he went for his backup bowling name, Per Hammer. And it's clearly stuck. And another thing I've got to say that I love about uh, Eric is the fact, and I rate this about him a lot. And when I found out we started, it pulled us into quite a deep chat, is the fact that he's mad into calisthenics bodyweight training and he lives a pretty clean lifestyle and that's really encouraging for touring DJs that you can be a DJ have late nights still work your body progressively loads and do mad shit like handstand push-ups which is what he's working on at the moment big up for that Eric now let's get into the podcast shall we and here is the man himself Per Hammer aka Eric welcome to the show Eric Thank you. Super nice to be here. Yes, happy for you to be here too. So I'm just going to read out the quote that we are basically referencing this chat on. And it is, some music venues should close down and open a bottle shop instead. Now, straight off um, the bat, from hearing that, what does that make you think? 
I think it's it's very much different to different part of the world, actually. Um, I think like when we met in Melbourne in Australia, I think it's pretty similar to here in Sweden. Although I think it comes down to to the alcohol culture uh, actually, mm. because it's it's uh, such a big part of everything uh, of our culture. And uh, yeah, you you can think good or bad about that, but I mean the bar. The incomes from the bar is a pretty big deal of yeah, everything. It's a big and, margin, uh, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, for for promoters, if you're talking of of us as promoters, I think it's rarely you see any numbers from there. So I think they it's it's a big big part of from the venue to even open up the doors Absolutely. for us and for the crowd. And you know, you barely you barely know what's going on there. You know, we we get the door if we're l- lucky. You know, but. The venue you know, gets so the much profits, more than that. Yeah, from the alcohol sure. consumption. And ultimately, um, that is the sole purpose of, I guess, club and bar industry. It's selling alcohol, isn't it, really? It's a space that sells alcohol. We like to see it as a music venue, but really it's an alcohol venue, ultimately, yeah. isn't it? Um, <laughs> because the facts are, if it was a non-alcohol venue that did the same amount of music events with the same amount of people, the profit margin would be really small. Probably more effort than I think it's worth. I th- Probably wouldn't even be possible to do it at all, yeah. unfortunately. Um, you know, b- because like we know ourselves, like if you would, if you would book an international artist with a proper artist fee, you have the booking fee, you have the travels, you have the hotel, you have the dinner, and you have the drinks, and then you're gonna charge what, like fifteen euros per ticket, and then you have three hundred people coming in. It's like it's fucking impossible to do that mm. unless you're taking, I mean, if you take everything yourself, it's already hard. Imagine you're going to split that with a venue mm. and they're going to see that it's profitable as well. You know, it's just didn't add up. And I think um, actually for, for the guests, it's, we need to talk about this more because people are quite spoiled. Mm. Uh, actually <laughs> that, People can pay like not that much to get in, um, and you get pretty much back. I mean, if you pay like you know, you know, for a long time, ten euros was was the limit here in in, in Malmo in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you're starting to get over there, it should be like ah. Then I expect you know like a big name or something extra. Do you have an extra room open or yeah, yeah What's yeah. up? What's yeah, up with you. these twelve euros instead of ten? You know. Mm. Um, and Everyone's I think looking we, for we their need... value for money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they don't have any other problems with buying alcohol when, mm. when you're in and the clubs and the club knows this. Yeah, course. exactly. So, um, I do agree with you that it's probably different in different countries and how the, and the way people operate, um, and what's kind of normality in some places and others, and what's also generally accepted from venues as well. I do have to say on the point that you said that the promoters don't really understand about the intricacies of running the bar and what that entails. I think that when I've worked with some venues, I have made a point to sit with them and ask them, what are we looking at on the bar? What do we need to make as a minimum? Not just for me as a promoter, but actually as a bar to feel successful that day. And I always keep that in mind. You know, the event that I was running that was a sober friendly, it was really important to keep a check check on the bar because obviously we were trying to sell non-alcohol as well as alcohol um, as a focal point. So it was really important to know that. And I was really grateful that the venue worked with me because I did get to learn so much about the ins and outs of what was needed 
to make the collaboration between promoter and venue actually be fruitful for everybody. So I think that yeah. education is so important. And you know what? It might be worthwhile me getting someone who is a, a bar owner on the podcast to talk about these things so everyone is aware. But on the topic, you know, we are talking about events. When did you, because you're just not an awesome DJ and producer, you have been running events for quite a long time as well. So when did you actually start doing that? Um, I started pretty early. Uh, I mean, I I started to to play live actually with it was electronic music, but you know a little bit more like ele- like electro pop. It was very influenced by computer game music, like Game Boy music, Nintendo music, Commodore sixty four stuff like that. And now we're talking like m- mid two thousand. Yeah. And then I moved to Malmö in southern Sweden in 2007 and I really wanted to to start DJing out because I got interested in in our kind of music. Mm. Uh, there were like a little blend there and um, one way to do that was just to to host your own events because mm. I was doing a little, little bit of a research in the city like how are people doing here? You know, Malmö is a small city, it's 300,000, but at that time we had like three or four like proper clubs, tons of like bar clubs, which is like just a you know a bar with a DJ, yeah, and they play music until one a.m. But people are like you know chatting and dancing a little bit, and yeah, there was a, a lot lot of places for music. And what came out of my little marketing research was that <laughs> all of the DJs booked each other, uh, the promoters. And the DJs were the same people, and there was just a circle of people booking each other. So the foundation of any music scene, I guess. It starts I did. Like that, I didn't it? know that back then. Yeah, yeah. I just felt like, is this a conspiracy or what's going on? <laughs> look, it's look. Some of us still think that sometimes, you know. Yeah, you know, because I'm coming from. I'm coming from the. I'm. I came from the like the, the more band kind of things where you had a clear clear promoter and you had a band. Yeah. There was no like. You know, you, you, there were two camps yeah, doing course. their thing. And but now like suddenly said, there were people doing, yeah. But like you said, if you want to run, play, maybe you have to you have to run your own event because if that's the culture of it, that there's little crews everywhere, you've got to create your own crew, I guess. Yeah. The thing is like, there, I, I, I barely didn't know anyone making this kind of music because mm. this was before the internet almost, at least, at, at least with, there were no really like clear forum for yeah. people to to hang out or meet other people or, or so well we so had I was, my, I was, we had myspace back then but it wasn't as easily it wasn't as good as maybe facebook because it was just starting to come out then but myspace the, was everything yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> bring it back we always say that bring it yeah. back yeah yeah well i don't know <laughs> mm. but it was fun i, I like i like the platform uh, that's yeah. a different topic but i don't i don't i don't remember that we had any platform where you could combine your music, your shows, like your gig tour schedule and a little bit of community at the same time. Yeah. It was fun, but that's a different topic. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, 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 I started to throw my own events because I wanted to play simply and went around to different bars, uh, gave them my mix CDs, although I don't think no one listened to it. <laughs> and then I got involved in a in a squat kind of. It was not really a squat because they paid a rent, but it was mm. like an old warehouse with some punks. Like, yeah, we want to do like they call it like activity house. Oh, yeah. So it was, 
it was like a little kitchen. They built a gym there. There were also like a hacker compartment. They were fucking cool. Mm. Um, they they had a bunch of computers and they were super early with 3D printing and they were like uh, locksmiths and yeah they were like just hacking stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they and then you had like the the club or concert space space where I was involved. So I, I did my first raves there with the. Uh, yeah, like uh, actually drum and bass and techno. Mm. So is that where and, you began? Uh, yeah, your, so, is that where you started your event? Yeah, exactly. So mm. that was in 2008. Mm. Um, I call I call the events fresh. Yeah, oh, did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which is a funny name because the, the place was everything else than fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense then, I it guess. It was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so how did that go for you then from running your own I guess it was quite, quite kind of like a small event in that space there what kind of numbers would that oh, have yeah. been you would, I don't know like a few hundreds yeah. and then maybe you know I don't know around 50 on the dance floor but everyone was like very not really you know people came there because of the place yeah socializing it was like, it yeah. Was like punks yeah it was punks and and yes people that were you know, oh, let's see what this place has yeah. to offer, you know. Yeah. And it was not so much about the music, but it was a great place to start because it was very welcoming. You have to learn to do everything yourself. You know, mm. if I wouldn't climb up a ladder and put up a lamp there, you there would be, be there. no lamp there. Yeah, <laughs> so you obviously have to do everything and I have to learn how to connect these DMX cables and light uh, mixers and I have to put up the PA and I have to do, yeah, literally everything. Mm. Plus yeah. promote, plus to do the uh, event poster, print it, put it up everywhere. Um, yeah, I've everything, done, I've basically. I've done the same. I, I can totally relate. Um, at the yeah. beginning, that's what it's like. And I think, um, I don't know if it's like that anymore where you have to put that much kind of like grassroots effort in because people can just promote their event by sitting on their sofa which is interesting. Sure. I've, I've also run an entire event that way where I've just used social media to do it. And it is, yeah. it is a bit of a different approach. I like it still. I've had to learn how to figure that out. But I do really like that grassroots vibe because I think it created, in a way, back then, more of a community because people would have been more local. You would have reached to the people that were more within the area. And like you say, that space was a bit more of a social gathering, which, like you mentioned before, too, that building community is really how the crew begins and how you get your little following and how you can start to build yourself up as a DJ or promoter even. It was a great, it was a great place because you, you could never really do wrong. You know, if, yeah. if, if you did wrong, you, people would be like, you know, they would just do something else. But nobody would ever, like, tell you that you're bad or you know, be aggressive or, yeah. you know, really like you suck. It was very like welcoming. No pressure. Of course. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it was a nice, nice way to, to start everything. And also to, to learn everything from scratch. I mean, I'm happy that I did it, but you know, it's also very time consuming and you have to be, it fits someone which is like 20 something and uh, really you know, interested in getting everything moving. Yeah, enthusiastic. So yeah. there's this. I get asked this question a lot, and I, I find it interesting how to word it if I'm asking you. But as a basis, the question is, what is your most, what has your most successful event event been? And I want to kind of rephrase that to say, what was the event that you were most happy with, and what do you think made it that way? Um, <clears throat> I don't think I have one specific event. I think it's more like a period of time. Um, you know, I'm a very nostalgic person in yes. general, but thinking back of when I'm starting my kiloton events, which I did 
early 2010. Uh, January 2010, I started my monthly event. And um, at that time, again, it was a great great environment to to host clubs and there were more money in the whole um part of the of the of the night mm. club industry so i could i could book you know more or less for whoever i wanted and uh, the the venue just paid it up front and then i got a little money like a dj fee afterwards but it gave me a really good uh, opportunity to to uh, show the southern sweden of what music is going on right now for the in the rest the of rest the europe you know yeah yeah, yeah. and what a nice and situation for that the venue could would cover that for you so that you could focus it on was, the creative direction of it and the and the growth of it that's really nice it was really good like sp- specifically in the beginning because I, I didn't have to gamble with any money yeah i i was safe i mean i didn't get much i think i got like Three, four hundred euros. Yeah. No, I didn't lose anything. That's but really you know, important. working working one month almost for for three or four hundred euros today, it would be like. Uh, but on the other hand, mm-hmm. um, I I could meet a lot of people. I could learn myself how to promote. I could, that you work. know, I did I did every, again a lot of things. Um, and one really valuable thing was that I could just like point at some artist and say like, Hey, I want to spend one day with you. Mm. <laughs> I pick you up at the airport. I'll drive you to the hotel. We go for the dinner. You know, we do all of that. Yeah, shit. It's the relationship building, Which is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And network. that was, that was really good because we know how important it is to meet people. And if you live in a small city where you don't have a lot of like people coming through, like in Berlin or London or, you know, where we met, like in Melbourne, mm you need to bring people there and i managed to to work like that for a long time and it was a good time it's a good run how, how long did you yeah. do that one for uh i think i did my events there every month until i moved to berlin in 2017 oh wow that's a long run no, yeah seven years seven mm. years every month yeah most and I was quite shocked when I learned that most promoters, uh, venue, like events, when they begin, they don't make more than six months, which is a bit, of sh- yep. it's a bit shit, really. But I think when people know that, they kind of can go in with the idea of what can I do to be different? How am I going to get past six months? You know, try and aim for your event to last at least a year to give it the growth that it needs to be able to roll yeah. on from there. Mm. Of course, and I, I, I don't. I don't think that it's it's profitable for everyone to just keep on running. I mean, in January we're we're celebrating twelve years, and it's just happening because I'm a stubborn motherfucker, and also my my partner Kaisa, which came in, um, I think 2015. Uh, we both like to to do things, and it's not you know we don't do it every month anymore. We do it maybe every six months or mm-hmm. every. Yeah, a few times a year, basically, on a different venue, where we can also um, have we have a different budget, yeah. and we do different things. We book, we rather book, you know, someone that we know, someone that we can have a fun night together with, but with which still is a is a good name to yeah. you know bring people there, of course. But the numbers are different, and uh, now you know I'm working full time with this now, so. Yeah. I have to really choose wisely yeah. how to spend my time and also what I can get in reward. I mean, however, we live in a capitalist society where you have to put 
food on the table. So yeah, of course, you have to think about all if I, if I if I can do one party every three months, get a little cash for it, and I can see my friends, I can have a good party, and I can again collect the people of Malmo mm. on a dance floor. Yeah, and even though them. I'm 35 now and not 22, it's still just as fucking great. And of course I don't know it is. if I will ever. Yeah, I don't know if I would ever. You know, abandon that feeling. It's of course just, not. It's just fantastic. Yeah. It is, and you would just you would like you've already said you would just change the way that you are doing it. You know, you may still always be involved, but you, maybe you'll start helping younger promoters or DJs, or you know, you still be involved because it sounds to me that community is quite important to you and nostalgia as well. So that feel good yeah. feeling is something that you go for. And um, actually, like, uh, sorry to interrupt you there, but sorry. I just came up with a came up with uh, an, a good example of a, of a successful night, and that was actually the last one we had. And I booked two new promoters here from Alma, which uh, started a, a club night in a bunker down in the harbor. Yeah. Um, and they, I think, they can fit like seventy people in there, maybe hundred. Yeah. And I, I was never able to go there because I'm always away on the weekends, but. I really want to go there one one time, and I know that their people love them. You know, every time they they uh, put an event up, people go crazy and they sell out all the tickets. So yeah. I booked them to to the one of the kiloton parties, and they just kicked it. They smashed it mm. uh, because they have this really nice energy of someone which is you know getting the way into it. Even though they're they're not they're not young, but they're they're very energetic and they have the they have the energy that that's needed that's required to, yeah yeah, to, yeah and I, mm. to just to just bring them to my place and see them rock my crowd combined with their crowd who because they came there obviously yeah yeah i got you yeah. Uh, yeah that was that was that was great that's that was really, really good great. and again i just yeah. say maybe this is the future for you then collaborations yeah Do you you're in a great, I think so. Yeah, you're yeah. in a great position because your parties have not just done well, but you've also been a global artist. And so you've got that recognition now and you kind of have the experience to know who to book and what's going to work. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing how, how your events will go over the next five years as well. Quite fascinated. Yeah. And I'm going to come over as well, of course. <laughs> For sure. Um, can I ask you, um, obviously working with various different venues, um, do you have a story on the top of your mind that... Um, an example where you had quite a big issue with a venue, which in your opinion could have actually been avoided. I'm talking about a situation where, you know, venues and promoters tend to butt heads quite a lot. And it's something that uh, could have, could have been avoided, avoided basically. I just wonder if you have any stories. I mean, I, I think most of the time it's, it's, it's about like, again, the, the market of, of, of things. Like I think different situations, even if it could be good or bad, makes people in power uh, a little bit grumpy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. us, and us as uh, as you know, we don't have that 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 power. We often tend to be the one who has to eat it. You know, yeah. I don't think I don't think I have a, a really good example. But in the end of of the last couple of years, when I was working on the old venue, the the numbers weren't always adding up. Mm. And we did everything we could to to change that, you know. And uh, I I understand my old bosses; they had to like flip every penny for for the numbers to to add up, you know. And uh, I think they 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 own a, a big business, and they probably 
every night that we were going minus, you know, they, they lost money. Mm. And uh, I think it's just very, very important for the for the owners of the nightclub and the promoters to realize that you're in the same team and trying to, you know, solve that together together. Yeah, yeah. Rather course. rather than the owner like fucking shape up, do your thing, you know. Yeah, it's not. It's more a collaboration, isn't it? And I think that a lot of venues, um, a, a lot of the relationship, it's it appears to be more that you're working for me. Or you're privileged to be working yeah. in my venue. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that that's obviously that's obviously the case sometimes. And uh, I knew. I mean, I was just like twenty something, and they were like, you know, proper dads with houses and kids, and you know, ex- proper dads. expensive car. <laughs> car- <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah, fake I mean, ones. The proper proper party dad. <laughs> but you know, uh, obviously, I realize now like there was a lot of it was. A, you know the the stakes are pretty high. Mm, of course. And uh, if if I'm the people that if I, I'm the guy who's responsible to getting people in there, obviously I have a responsibility as well. Mm. Um, I think it's just like very important to um, to uh, yeah collaborate. Find that collaboration. I mean, and, uh, uh, yeah. The the quote has literally come up from this kind of topic um, because what I was finding a lot, and I found quite a bit more in the last few years since running events in Melbourne is the attitude of from the venue um someone actually said this to me when I was running an event with them and he said um I I, you know I'm really happy to support you and I'm glad to be able to support you and on reflection I, I mean I even said to them I'm sorry is you giving me the space supporting my brand or my project because actually I mean, it isn't. There's a lot of venues that could work here, but I've chosen your venue because I like the way it is. It's not that that I'm... uh, Yeah, you're kind of privileged that I've asked you to bring my event to you in a way as well. It's a collaboration thing because to feel privileged that someone is just giving you a space, I think that is a bit crazy because if I were to run a venue or a bar, to me, it feels a little bit um, unfinished if you plan to open a business that sells alcohol, but don't plan to do anything to bring people in to sell the alcohol too. So if you're waiting on a promoter to bring the people in, there needs to be a little bit more respect there for that promoter. And the collaboration would be, what do you do to help bring people into the space as well? Whereas the venue team seem to think that them being a space is enough. But the thing is, if no promoter ever went there, how would they get people in in the venue? What would they do? Because I've seen venues, especially... This was happening a lot in Melbourne since the lockdowns. And I think it's because of the culture of um, needing to pre-organise where you're going. So when we had the lockdowns, before the lockdowns and before COVID, everyone would just go out to party, pay on the door, decide on the night if they want to go out, be pretty spontaneous. And then it feels like after COVID, because everybody had to know their numbers when they went in and everything had to be regulated, that's kind of carried on. So if a venue goes, oh, you know, you haven't sold enough tickets for us to open or actually you haven't sold out a week before or five days before and you're only running it with local DJs, which is hard to sell out anyway. So you haven't sold out. So we're going to cancel the event. And that's happened a lot. Really? Did, did that happen? That, that they, they cancelled the events? They've ha- that's happened to me. That's happened to pl- parties I've been booked at. They've been cancelled on the day, even though a lot of us have known people are coming, paying cash on the door. We've, you know, got constant communication. We know our event. We know our punters more than the venue does. 
But then the venue panics and goes, well, you haven't sold out. So they think that it's not going to work without realising that we've come to you because our event is always pretty successful, you know. Um, And that attitude of I'm not going to do anything to help bring people in is a little bit, I think, a bit distorted. And this is why I'm saying I think maybe this is, it was me that said that quote, maybe people need to stop actually thinking of running a music space or a a dancing venue and just open a shop that sells alcohol because you know what, surely surely it will be less stress. (laughs) Just selling bottles of alcohol instead of closing your venue down because you weren't happy with what the promoter was doing or didn't give it a chance. And then you have nobody in your venue all day. I mean, how long can a venue sustain itself like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think again, it's, it's people choose to do things. I'm not sure that people really choose to, to end up where they are. (laughs) For me, for example, I I ended up where I am right now just because it kind of like, happened Mm. i just i just felt very you know i i did something that i like and then it just like carried on right place right time and yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 Yeah. and it's been like this now for a long time and i'm not sure if it's the if it's the same thing with the with the venue owners maybe i mean i i don't know many venue owners but those examples that i do have is that they they're coming from the nightlife and at some point they maybe find an investor or they got a little bit of cash or whatever and they open up a space, which I think is fucking beautiful. Of course. I mean, we're, we, we've been talking about this and, and, and I think in many cities right now, people are struggling to find somewhere to go. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a very limited supply, at least like in Sweden, there's not many clubs. If mm. if if a club do open, that's a big thing, you know. Mm. We have to We have to be to be happy with what we have right now. Of course. And I think yeah. from the venue perspective, it's about having foresight of, like I say, if I run a venue, which I'm absolutely hoping to do one day, it's going, what am I going to have? What collaborations am I going to do here to make this work and be effective? And I think that some of the most effective parties and brands around the world, probably from what I've seen anyway, they all kind of worked with the same venue long term. To be yeah, able to build yeah. it, to be able for people to get familiarity, for people to know every Sunday I can go here and this is going to be on. And that's how you build events and brands as well, you know. Yeah. So it's about the, the venue almost giving patience and a little bit of time. And I think we're going to talk about this a bit later on, but it's a tips and things for new promoters and people to kind of navigate a little bit better with venues is to kind of say, what is our time frame that we're working with to build it? Because to expect it to be built on the first day is a little bit, potentially delusional unless you go for a big name who's going to pull numbers sure you know yeah or you or you do it at a party or at a venue which is already bringing a lot of regulars or whatever yeah Um, it's harder to get into right i think i think again it comes down to collaboration and actually you know stay together because our nightlife it's fucking fragile you know Mm. we've been fighting for this i mean if you go back 30 years you know people were people were fucking fighting to be able to to push through you know mm. to even to be even being accepted mm. you know it, it was not a long time ago where where you had people sitting in tv talking about djs as attacking the the band's profession for example they're stealing our jobs yeah. or or whatever it is it could be like uh, they're satanists or you know, they're just hedonistic, uh, 
marauders yeah, or whatever, you know. It, it was it, it was exactly it was yeah. not a long time ago we had to fucking fight for our rights to do this. And yeah. and we're gonna be we're gonna be attacked again from mm -hmm. different powers around us. And if it's not, you know, that our venues has to shut down because they're going to build uh, some fancy apartments there. Yeah. It's going to be something else, you know, it's going to be the police or it's going to be, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I think it's, it's super important for, for DJs, for promoters, to club owners, everyone to Work actually together. realize that we're in the same fucking team. Yeah. Exactly. If we're gonna, if we're gonna be able to, to first of all, save what we have, but also to be able to expand and do what we love and not only have these huge fucking Lollapalooza festivals where you have the sellout techno stuff, which is, it's fine by me, please do it. But if that's going to be the only thing that's Yeah, we left, need a balance, right? Yeah, We need the balance. And, and it's interesting, it's interesting actually because recently I've been having a lot more conversations with people on this topic um, because I do, I do want to open a venue one day and I think, you know what, I'm not going to do it until I've literally grilled everyone to find out all the information and try and do it the best way possible um if you have a venue and there are some in melbourne that do this and i'm really happy that they are there i have to say the melbourne scene is pretty nurturing a lot um to venue to, to promoters and djs as well as it is a little bit harsh as well the idea yeah. of having a venue that um on a saturday and friday has certain nights in that you know are just going to bring the masses in right maybe the non, not, not hardcore music lovers, people that like drinking a little bit more. And on the Saturday and Friday night, you can probably run your entire week off those two nights. And then you've got the Sunday to do something a little bit more underground, support the local scene a bit more. Because something that I think a lot of people tend to forget when these big artists come in, if it wasn't for the local DJs and the local promoters running a smaller scene to keep people entertained and engaged when you haven't got big artists, where are people hearing that music and keeping their culture of clubbing and you know, music alive, it's the, it's the local scene that does it. So if you can always have a little section of your week or one night a week to at least provide for them where there is no pressure because your Friday and Saturday night are covering all the costs, it kind of helps, you know, and it kind of keeps uh, um, that local community vibe going as well. I think that's really important. I think it's if you can, like you say, if you can find a mix of the both at the same venue, you're laughing then. No man, I'm I'm just thinking how you could do it even better. Yeah, let's go. I mean, because obviously, <laughs> obviously, no, but I'm I'm just thinking how I would do it. Yeah. Because I I know I know how it is to be local. Yeah. And uh, and you want you want to feel appreciated. Of course. And and right now, in the city where I live, we're missing like one or two new generations. Like when I moved to Berlin. I left a very depressed city mm. and I came back here and I did a few parties every year and I just felt like, um, am I the one that's going to keep this city alive? You know, maybe it is coming man. back, coming back as a 30 plus something to do a few parties every year. And that's it, you know? Yeah, but it's, it keeps it alive not, though. It's so important. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, but it's just like, you know, sure, it keeps it alive. and But it's just like, People want to. People want to feel like they're part of something. Of like if if there's a if if there's a new generation of twenty years something doing a party and inviting other twenty years something, that's like where the fucking magic happens, and that's where 
you get people into the culture. Of course, not everyone will stay there, but you know, every now and then it happens that some nerd on the dance floor just like gets overwhelmed. They're like, "What is this? I need to know everything." <laughs> wow. Yeah, I love yeah. those. I love when I meet some... those people. They're like, "I've never heard this music before," and I'm like, "Where have yeah, you been exactly. living?" But I'm here for it. Let's go. <laughs> and it it's it nice. could be like some some producer like, "Wow, they put this baseline here," or the arrangement of this track is just fantastic. Oh, here's a bongo or, you know, whatever. Or it could be like some party girl just, you know, wants to do something that's that's out and just get, you know, whatever. Mm. There, there's so it's many different angles of this. Yeah, yeah there's so many it. different angles of this that that wants people to, or, or that, that could people bring into the culture mm. and uh, and make them stay there. And once you know, maybe further down the road, they want to arrange something themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, it all starts That's with, how we keep it alive. It all yeah. starts with inspiration, doesn't it? And if people have representation of other people doing something, they can see that it's possible for them and they can do it. You know, that's why I say to you, it's important, to, even if you do a few parties a year that can help set the standard, you will always, without realising you're doing it, be inspiring others to know that they can do that, that that is achievable, you know? Yeah. And I will touch on this because anyone who knows me on a personal level and you know this about me already, I'm mad into the club culture and it's something that I really want to keep alive. And I do wonder, I don't want to go too much on this, but I do wonder from what you've said if things are changing because being back in London now for what, six or seven weeks, I'm like you, I'm the mad researcher. I'm standing on the sides, I'm observing, I'm seeing who's doing what, what's happening, what the events, what the events are like, who's going to the events as well. Um, and the energy in the events is really important. But I do wonder, I mean, the beginning of club culture was all about the misfits joining together. We didn't have social media. I say we, I was way before my time. But the social media wasn't there. There was no other way for people to really meet other than in person, right? So people would hear about this event going on in a warehouse and they would all turn up. And that's how the community was created. People didn't have the other options or the choices. So I do feel that in a way, unless you make the real effort to keep that club culture going by adding smaller things into your event that can keep it more interactive and more about community, I think that naturally would be lost because nowadays people have other ways to make friends and chat and find music connections. You know, Instagram is an entire world. that I've made friends on Instagram that have become my actual good friends and all we talk yeah. about is music stuff and things like that. And I've never seen them in a club. I've never gone out with them. Do you know what I mean? But this is the kind of person I would have met out. And now I don't need to do that because I've got another avenue, you know? So it, it does, I think, I think the way people network now and the way people build their communities now with social media and just generally being on their phones, it does, it will affect the culture of things. Absolutely. Because it, you're a nostalgic person. We've been doing this a long time, like 15, 20 years more. And you you know it was very different back then to now. And I do wonder if that has a part to play in it. Well, again, I think it's it's uh, from a from a perspective coming from a smaller city, I think it's a, it's a good thing that we now are able to reach out. Of course. Be beyond beyond what we have just in front of our nose, like literally. Absolutely. Like being a producer from a small city, uh, to be able to send their music, to be able to interact with other people, it's going to be, you know, more equal in a way and open up more doors for, for people in a way that, yeah, it, it makes, makes it makes it more, yeah, I, I don't accessible. know how to say it, but, it but, more, it more, but accessible. more accessible. Yeah, it's perfect. Right. 
it's great. In the same in the same way where you we need to to be to be careful to yeah have the doors open for for all kind of people you know of course. not 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 only and, and be you know see one step further yeah and i'm definitely not, you know of course of course i'm definitely not i'm a i'm a kind of pretty progressive person i think i'm not one of these people that's like i hear people all the time that maybe my age or older and they just complain that it's not how it was and i just think right. yeah but i'm sorry of course it's different and to be honest i like the way i we can promote now this it is more accessible we can reach more people totally. we can get into nooks and crannies that we wouldn't have got before because only our feet can take us so far when we're doing hands-on promotion yeah. you know but there is, is a, a way is a, this is a marketing yeah. thing which i think will be coming up in another podcast which is more about unconventional marketing using the technology and the digital world and still keeping your very organic elements into it it's even little things like when someone turns up at, the, at an event if they've got a specific door person that isn't just taking your money and giving you a stamp, but maybe introducing themselves or telling you who to look out for in the party, like this person's cool, go and chat to them if you're new in town. Wow. You know what I mean? Like the whole introduction that you can have with that entry at the door, it becomes more like you've got a host rather than a door person. And it can make the whole event much nicer because at least everyone in that venue, even if they've turned up alone, knows the door person has had jokes with the door person and they've set them up on a good tone. And that's you would really be the perfect person to have there, really. Well, uh, me, yeah. or that person. Well, I mean, I'm. I did. <laughs> I did do this at my own events until I found someone else who could do it for me. But I had this. Well, at my I never. Event I never heard about anyone suggesting to have a per person well, like that. But well, you know, when, yeah, when, really. when we do the when we do the marketing um, and just general vibe podcast about how to make your events a little bit more unique, maybe you, you can listen into that one because there's a lot of tips to come. But I think these things can help those kind of like stuck in their ways people that want to do it the old-fashioned way without realizing that you can put that really nice humanistic element into the digital promotion and and publicity and stuff and keep it really um keep it really real still so someone can walk in what was really a, a, a review that i loved from my events is people would come in and go this feels old school when they walked in because they've already had someone give them so much warmth at the door you know what I mean? They come in with this yeah. attitude of, I'm here to make friends. And we'd have the door person say, everyone up there is cool. There's a few people there like yourself. Chat to people, you know, if they want to chat, chat back. If not, you know, move on to the next person. We encourage people to be, to, to chat, you know, it's good. It was really effective. Um, I, I want to ask you another question though about, about venues and something that you've learned because you've done this a long time. What do you think um, you have learned about running events in terms of negotiating with venues? Because we're talking about collaboration, right? Being important. But I think sometimes when you have a vision for an event, now remember that you're, you've done this a long time, but imagine someone's brand new, they're 19 years old, they've been listening to house music for four years, they're like, yeah, mate, I want to do an event. And they just have no idea of actually how to navigate and, and negotiate with venues. So they've got their vision. And that's amazing. But then to communicate that to a venue and get it actually off the ground is another thing so what could you give like one or two tips of how to negotiate with venues um i think like as, as a newcomer it's very important for for you to to get the artistic expression exactly as you wanted yeah. you know to to be able to book what you want to be able to play the kind of music that you want because if you're playing music that doesn't work out on the club you are at the wrong spot, you know. And it's you, you gonna should, look you bad should... on you, right? <laughs> I've been yeah, there. <laughs> and I mean, you should you shouldn't change. You shouldn't change. You should change the venue, because I know, you know, 
in the I'm I'm still pretty could be pretty sensitive if I come to you know like a small city where the where the 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 culture is not really what it is in in bigger cities yeah. people can come and you know ask for you know some radio music or you know something <laughs> that you can dance to classic dreaded request <laughs> yeah do you have something something we can sing to yeah. do you have something we can dance to <laughs> i love that one um oh my god you know, i it's, heard that it's, before <laughs> it's not it's not so fucking easy to be to just stand up against that shit especially yeah. not if you're 19 yeah and uh, maybe it even comes from the from the from the venue owner you're there playing and, and they come down and like, hey, what do you do? You need to play yeah. some more accessible shit or whatever. Yeah. Because I think this is this is dangerous. Then you're out in a fucking minefield if you have the 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 owner coming down uh shouting at you to to step up and play something more commercial or something that you can sing to. Yeah. And the crowd is attacking you from a different way. And then and good luck standing there and just say, you know what, leave me alone. Do I'm gonna do what I want. Then you're gonna have to look to to uh, to be on a different place because that's toxic. You're not you're not gonna survive that for a very long time. No, and also it just sounds like a mishmash of the vision wasn't the same from both parties, you know. And I've had that two venues that I've worked with over the years said this exact same thing to me: the music's too really? deep. Yeah. And I was like, listen, yeah. I told you it was deep when I came, you know. And the right. parties, were, yeah. the parties were all right, but because their crowd that came in didn't like the deep stuff. They found yeah. that they were feeling hearing complaints and things like that. So I've learned oh, my I've learned my mistakes and I've learned how to now make sure that that does not happen. And it's little things like making sure they hear your music, making sure you know that you're picking a venue that already has a similar style or has yeah, a night yeah, yeah. at least where they're open to that kind of stuff. The, the venue has to have but a little bit of culture. That's with what fucking you're doing. hard. That's that's super hard, especially like if you have like a limited limited supply of venues and clubs it's like if you're gonna if you have a small taste of music you're gonna have a um, a problem finding a, a place yeah sure yeah. i mean if you're in berlin and and you are lucky enough to to have a name so you can actually promote something and to be able to to throw a party together with a venue mm. you're gonna you're gonna have to choose wisely you know of course um, and same thing in London, of course, where where people like in general are, in my impression at least, like the hands in the air stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a, um, I've noticed a bit more of that going on, but again, it's the um, yeah. I, there's there's too much to talk about. I'm not even going to go into it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's yeah, we'll leave that out for now. Yeah, exactly. So, because um, we're now talking about promoters, right? And what's difficult. What do you think is the must-knows for promoters so that they don't get disheartened? Because like I said, most promotions, when they begin, they don't last more than six months. So someone's either got let down, disheartened, which I think is the most obvious one that I hear when I talk to people. Um, they just go, oh, fuck it, I can't be bothered anymore. Like, they've been beaten down. And even me, even in the last year, I've had that. I had to pause my event because I was like, getting a bit beaten down. And it was going mm. really well. But some other things were bothering me. Because what people don't talk about, I think, is... Um, and I do have someone coming on to talk to me about this, uh, is actually the all the back-end stuff about running events that you don't even know about because you get so excited and so enthusiastic about the concept and the, and the vision that you forget about all the emotional turmoil that goes on behind the scenes that you do need support with to be able to keep you moving forward. 
Because we're human yeah. beings that have emotions. And if someone says something shit to you on the wrong day and it starts to get into your brain or whatever, you need to have like a mentor or somebody there that can keep you on track and keep you focused. And everything that goes on, you need to kind of let it roll off your back. I find that that can be really disheartening. But um, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit and hear what you think could be uh, uh, maybe a tip or two to help people not get disheartened on their journey, whether it's the venue that's giving them jip or whether they're struggling for money or they're not getting the artists that they want. Like, What would be your words of wisdom, Eric? I think uh, hearing now what you're saying is one thing that could really help is to simply just do something, do it together with someone, you know, yeah. to, um, yeah, as I told you, I'm doing the Kiloton events together with Kaisa, my friend who lives in Copenhagen here. And when I did my labor parties in Berlin, I do it. Uh, I was a resident. We had a resident residency for my label, Dirty Hands at About Blank. Mm. At that time I was uh, teaming up with a friend from Stockholm and his label, to be able to just share everything, you know, moving to Berlin and uh, and working together with the venues there, which has their kind of like harsh ways of of uh, doing everything. And about Blank in in particular is a very like hardcore venue. Mm. Um, it was really nice to be able to talk about obstacles and and things that came out along the Challenges. road together with my friend mm. yeah like i think if i would do that myself i would feel very exposed and um vulnerable, yeah, vulnerable, yeah. vulnerable yeah. for for things that came up you know it could be like you know money things or just you know the german tone yeah, <laughs> in which yeah. they they have you know to just like to get an email where he thinks like they're they're just like punching you in the face but however but they just want to to you know let you know something yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and then 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 it could be it could be good to to be able to like discuss discuss that with someone yeah. which is not you know your partner or yeah like a know, business person who can also just like a business partner take some yeah. of the strain off yeah and, and so you don't yeah, take things yeah, yeah, too yeah. personally have a bit of a laugh about it or figure out a way to move forward together and get get another perspective basically as you travel as you travel through the, the process of it yeah. Yeah. Like like in anything in life, it's it's good to to be able to to feel like you're in you know in the same team as someone and and to have like an yeah. open environment to to speak about things. I do think it's really valid what you said about working with someone because even in my own experience, having run events for like sixteen years now, I still make some you know schoolboy errors, I guess. And I have <laughs> been pretty burned in the past working with people who have ended up stealing ideas or taking all the credit for themselves or whatever. Because oh, um, okay. obviously, even if you're running an event with someone, you still need someone that is solely on your team behind the scenes. Like I said before, yeah. that mentor or that person, because um, it, can, it can happen that way. So I've kind of lost trust a bit. So I've done my own events the past however long, all by myself. You know, and I've, I've paid people to do jobs for me instead of have them with me. But ne- next time as I move forward... I'm definitely going to be collaborating with a person. Um, yeah, because if you're paying someone, you have that more. It's really good, however, sometimes to, isn't it, really? to have to to pay someone to do things because then you can, you know, you can have your demands and you don't get like emotionally involved yeah. and you can actually ask for for services and things mm-hmm. uh, and you know it's as you do with, with someone. You know, mm. I'm I'm paying you this money. I get my coffee. Yeah, it's not like. Oh, can I please have a coffee? But tomorrow I won't ask you again because that will feel too much. Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's really good to have someone that you could 
you can you can have your demands, but you also pay that person. Yeah. So it's strictly business. Yeah, of course. Um, but with that person, you're maybe not going to discuss yeah. uh, the tone the tone of the of the owner's email. email. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, I think you, you're going to discuss different things. Yeah, I think it's having the business people and then having that that mentor or emotional support, just like anyone who runs a business. Anyone I know who runs a successful right. business has a mentor that they check in with every month, every whatever you know, and go goes over stuff. I think that's probably going to be the way that I navigate now going forward. I think like in, in if I would be a newcomer right now, it would be fucking golden to work with someone like you, which mm. has this, you know. Um, experience of course but also the um, to have the demands to be able to you know put down a f- the your your feet and say like look i'm bringing some something to your club mm. um without me you would be an alcohol store yeah. <laughs> you should, you should, right and i mean you you should you should respect me but you should also i want to respect you to your team mm. yeah exactly yeah. I mean, something that I feel quite proud of that I've been able to understand, which I'm still kind of kind of wanting to nail a little bit more before I go back into events in the next few months, is when I've gone to events in the last year, I've been able to go in with a little bit more understanding of their side of it. And so in a way, I've gotten a little bit more respect from the venues because they see that I see their side. I'm not just here trying to throw a party for a status or for my ego. It's actually a whole concept around it. And it's about everyone doing well in the business, not just the, the party or not just the venue. And yeah. that, that is something that you discussed at the beginning, right, with your boundaries of how does that look? I mean, if the bar makes more money than us on the door, are we going to talk about if we're going to come to a split on that? Or, you know, look, just just have everything said at the beginning of how it's going to go. Um, and obviously with the experience, there's more ideas of how things can go wrong as well. So you can just iron them out at the very beginning. Something, yeah. I, something I do want to do is actually um, I've got so many event concepts, but I don't want to run them all. But I do want to help people learn how to run events really well if they don't know or have concepts I can always share it with them and this is another project I'm going to work on in the next few years helping people get off the ground with their with their stuff you know with their events because like you I think it's so important even if you're not doing huge events to run events of 100 150 people is so important for a local scene you know what I mean yeah. to do it really well it really is important and anyone who's an international DJ I think needs to automatically respect that people are doing that because without that again where would someone like Per Hammer go to play in Melbourne if we weren't doing things like that, you know, or the whole Melbourne community weren't running events, you know, with your sound mm. and playing your tracks, you know, so it's so important. But um, I want to actually move into something that you fascinate me, right, because you do love your nostalgia and you're into your little, like, sci-fi stuff and your, your, your stuff, yeah? <laughs> your track sure. your track now, which has come out on your label, Dirty Hands, uh, Beshka EP, I want to talk about your... Uh, I want to talk about it a little bit and I want to talk about your Darth Vader track. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we talk about <laughs> your Darth Vader? I'm really into it right now. <laughs> I think about it all, all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. No, but um, right now we are pre- preparing the digital release of it. That's mm. why I'm... I'm uh, when I jumped... Before I jumped on uh, the call here with you, I was uh, doing the radio edits. Um, yeah for the streaming services. Because it's been out for a month, hasn't it, on vinyl? It's been out for vinyl, on vinyl. um, And we could jump on another one-hour-long call with the vinyl sales right now. Mm. 
but I'm going to skip to that uh, and just uh, <laughs> cut that out and uh, jump straight into, I think, right now, the vinyl is a very specific object for specific persons. Mm. And um, I, I mean, I've been running my label since 2014. It's it's 10 years soon and uh, been focusing on the vinyl. <clears throat> and uh, it's all always been like in the in the in the center of of the release plan mm. however i feel right now that there is like connecting back to what you say about the, the digital world and the the digital yeah. world and inviting everyone uh, not uh, not only people with money and interest in vinyl but to actually being able to offer the music to to everyone of course you want it to be accessible specifically right? the younger people and of course Vinyl's I want to be accessible. Dude. I said it. Yeah. yeah, you should be accessible. It's good. Yeah. And after all, I mean, it's an accessible track. Um, yeah, so why limit have... it, right? Exactly. Why Why limited? Yeah. I want to do the opposite. And yeah, uh, yeah me and Olga uh, Coral, we produced it here in my studio, mm. um, what, maybe a year ago. And uh, we did the Bishkat and the Darth Vader tracks pretty much on top of each other, mm. um, right after each other. And uh, when we work in the studio, we just, you know, we hit the record button and then we see what's happening. Mm. We, it's like the modular system. We have the, the facts and um, we just like jamming, recording things. Uh, and then in the end, you have to take away something because it doesn't uh, fit with the new things you record. Mm. And then you record, take away, record, take away. And then it's like this sculpture comes to life, kind of. And um, we were recording her vocals um, through one pretty piece of shit gear that I have here in the studio. Which is like an, I don't know, I think I paid maybe 70 bucks for it. It's like a multi-effect rack unit from the 90s, mm. which is this, has this really cheap, like really cheap repitch effect. Right. Where you can, uh, where you can blend in the, the original source of, of audio together with the pitched version of the audio. Right. And you get this like doubled effect i'm hearing so we where we're down. going with this now okay i'm getting it. right getting so it. we pitched we pitched down her vocal while she was singing and kind of like fucked around with the different settings and blended in the mix and so you get this really like weird yeah. vocal mm. and we were like this fucking sounds like darth vader man. <laughs> <laughs> and she just came out with uh she wrote it wrote the lyrics actually in ukrainian and then we uh translated it into english Mm. And then it came out, you know, like this. And it's not, and, uh, it's not like, when you say it's an accessible track, like where's your aim? Like where does this track, where's it going to be played? And who kind of, what kind of people will be playing this track? Oh, I'm really looking forward to to find out about that. Because okay. right now, right now I just, when we played it out, we obviously played it out for, for, for over a year now. Mm. And... Um, Every time I play it out, I just like people come and like, what is this? And they yeah. want to know what it is. And the the more that happened, I, I was playing it uh, right before you actually in in, in Melbourne. Oh really? What when I came uh, on? Yeah, yeah, I mixed yeah. out yeah, of like, it. Didn't I? Yeah, you know, few tracks before you. At yeah, least. okay, okay. And right, I, I know this. I, I know and, and, and again, and again, like this, the, the the this venue just like something happened. 
and that is that is a very very special feeling when mm. you when you drop one of those tracks that works and it's your own like yeah. wow and people don't so, even know uh, it but they they, they, they no people really wouldn't know response. it and people yeah. people come and, and ask and so that when that's when we notice like okay we're gonna have to do something with this track mm. um let's let's release it on dirty hands so and the that's thing, what's happening right now the thing that's so unique about this is um i don't really hear many of the electronic tracks um have a music video yeah we do have one <laughs> even though it's very improvised and short yeah that's but cool. uh yeah I, I have a friend he's working as a film film guy here in malma and uh he just came over a really you know crappy mini is it called mini dv it's like this home camera, one one of the very early like digital home cameras. Oh, yeah. But you record it, you record it still into a tape. Oh wow! Um, so it you get this really like grainy, mm. uh, super low resolution picture. Yeah. And we were, you know, I, I kind of suck at planning um, when it comes to everything. Just as I do in the studio, I, mm. I just do something and then I see what comes up. Yeah. And we had the video shooting planned. We had the day, everything was like, okay, it's going to happen today. And um, Olga, she was here and uh, we were sitting in my backyard just enjoying the sun. And okay, we're having in the video shoot in like three hours. We had a real, like a small, loose sketch of what we're going to do. Yeah. And then um, my neighbor came down. This is actually a really funny story. I just thought about it the other day, that it came, that it came down like this. But my neighbor came down and she was just finishing off her work. She she's working as a nurse, and she was working nighttime. So she just came out from her um, from her work in the morning or like early lunchtime, and she's like, "Oh, so good to be home. The sun is out." And then she popped a beer, uh, and she popped two beers. Um, and then we were there like just talking with her and she was explaining what she did at work and blah 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 and then suddenly just hit her like fuck I need to move my car I parked it like really bad I was just planning to go in and now I'm pretty drunk (laughs) so I need I can't move my car I I can't drive my car anymore and I'm like you know what I can I can I can drive it for you Mm. Um, just tell me where you want it and I offered her to uh, to uh, to move her car, and then suddenly it just hits me like we're gonna record a music video and we need something to do in it. So I asked her if we could borrow her car, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, do you want that? That's cool." Yeah. And it's this really it's really old like golden Nissan or something. I don't know. It's like from the from the nineties. Perfect. It's barely running. It's yeah, barely yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> push everyone and push. you can see that yeah so uh yeah i i made her that favor to move her car because yeah. she was drunk and, and then you got some return, content for your music video i got props. some content for the music video <laughs> yes without, so our music hiring. video is like very improvised we were like driving around with this car we were driving down to the harbor we catched a pretty sexy sunset yeah, and nice. we filmed that a little bit and uh Everything just came together quite nice, and then it's all filmed in this very like low quality kind yeah, grainy, of, of grainy camera. Image. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Suits probably suits the sound of the voice, and you're, it does. You, you've also said that you've got, which I'm actually curious to find out how you've managed to do this legally. You've got some Darth Vader merch coming out. Are you just reselling Darth Vader merch? <sighs> I don't we? know. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, so we still have to establish that one. Yeah? But I'm I'm thinking, you know, uh, you remember this song "Barbie Girl" by Aqua. Of course, they got they got they get freed they get freed in uh, in court because the the court decided that Barbie is a, too big of a cultural phenomena to be able to not sing about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, yeah, it's true, though, isn't it? And, so it's, I mean, it's it's not it's not a big thing. It's yeah. it's just the we just gotta do a few like bucket hats and uh, yeah, sweet, a few caps like very very limited. And, I was gonna uh, say I don't know them. I don't know about you in a bucket hat, Eric. I'm definitely in a cap though. Yeah, would you? Wear a I cannot hat? have a bucket hat. No. I cannot have no. Like when when I ordered the samples, um, I'm like I shouldn't try this on because I look like a fucking egg. Yeah. And <laughs> and if 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 I'm if I'm gonna show. Uh, someone to like should I go with the big one or the small one they would say like none two eggs of course n- <laughs> so I had to find someone else to model it a bit for yeah. me well good that's all good it's the way the business goes isn't it everyone has their role yeah 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 I um, can't do that shit well thanks so much for coming on I've absolutely loved this chat and I look forward to the release and how it's all going to go and also the future of Perhammer and events and just everyone who managed to listen today I hope you got something good from it and um feel enthusiastic about starting events or continuing your events and big up to you so much i admire so much what you're doing and (laughs) yeah it's fuck i wish i wish that there were more people like you there are we just have to pull them out this scene would be so much more healthy (laughs) we'll get there bit by bit right we're all doing our bit yeah have a lovely afternoon thank you very much you too you too